Hello, this is Dr. Lee McPherson, and welcome to Palliative Care Chat, the podcast brought to you by the online Master of Science and Graduate Certificate Program at the University of Maryland. I'm very excited about our guest today, Nancy Eddy, uh, who is a social worker with MedStar, and she works in the PATCH program, which is the Palliative Telehealth Clinic. So welcome, Nancy. How are you today? Thank you, Lynn. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm, I'm doing well. It's a beautiful day. It is a lovely day today. So our topic today, we're going to talk about, what are we going to talk about today? Why don't you share with us? We're going to talk about the LGBT community um, and how, you know, uh, we have LGBT patients and how that intersects with palliative care. So first off, what are all these letters standing for? And sometimes you hear the Q, sometimes you don't hear the Q. I'm very confused here. What are we doing? (laughs) Yeah, there are a lot of letters. It seems like alphabet soup sometimes. Um, and, uh, you know, I think uh, that folks mostly know LGBT is lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, um, and Q um, usually stands for queer, um, and queer, uh, you may know it as a derogatory term, um, but it's been a term that's kind of been re, um, repurposed, and, uh, and the, the community has, you know, some in the community have latched onto it as an umbrella term for LGBT instead of having to say LGBT, just saying the queer community, because it kind of is a little more flexible. Um, but not everyone likes the term, you know, maybe older adults who uh, have had that as a, a derogatory term or epithet, you know, they may feel less comfortable with that term. Um, so not everyone likes, likes Q. Um, you know, there's always, there, it also can, can uh, you may have heard queer used for gender queer, which is someone who is not in, you know, identifying, you know, in, with femaleness or maleness, maybe more in between gender queer or non-binary or gender non-conforming. Um, so that's another way that we hear the, the term, you know, the, with the letter Q for queer. Um, there's other letters too. You may have heard I, A, intersex, asexual, um, I think that intersex is actually pretty interesting to just um, actually talk about for one second. Um, you know, there are actually about one in 2,000 folks who are intersex. You know, I'm, I'm not a, a physician, but it's interesting, you know, biological sex has five different components. You know, you've got like your chromosomes and your sex hormones and your gonads, reproductive glands, your external genitalia. Um, and you know, if some of those don't match up completely, then you're in the intersex community. So it's actually a very large umbrella term. Um, and one in 2000 is, is a lot. That's, you know, uh, actually more common than cystic fibrosis. So. Wow. Um, I didn't even know that. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, so there's lots of other letters as well. You may have heard P for pansexual. Sometimes you see LGBTQ then, and then a plus sign huh. um, kind of to encompass the whole community. But um you know, I don't think we need to get too hung up on all the letters. Um, you can say LGBT and, and uh, I think folks will understand where you're coming from and, and be appreciative of you using that language. I wish we were all more like the TV show Bridgerton where everybody's equal and everybody's accepted and you don't need to have all these letters and so forth. It's, the world should be like Bridgerton in my opinion. I love that. <laughs> um, so I guess given the strides we've made with marriage equality, is same-sex marriage legal in all 50 states now? Yes, yes. Marriage equality. Is, so in 2015, the Supreme Court passed, um, you know, the, the ruling that, uh, you know, we do have um, uh, same-sex marriage or, or marriage equality in all 50 states. Um, that was just six years ago. Uh, yeah. So not, not that long ago. Um, so, know, but, but I guess... Yeah. 
Given that, which is great progress, many people assume that LGBT folks no longer face systemic discrimination. Is this true? So has the, have the waters uh, quieted here and everything's uh, smooth sailing? Yeah, I wish. Um, I mean, I, there, I don't think that you can, you can overstate how important um, marriage equality is. I do think that's a huge stride. Also, last year, um, you may or may not be aware, there was a Supreme Court case that finally made it illegal to fire someone for being LGBT oh across goodness. the 50 states. So, you know, in 2020. That's, that's when that happened. Um, you know, there were jurisdictions and states already that had some protections for LGBT folks, but now in all 50 states, you cannot be fired for being LGBT. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's also, that's also great and, and huge. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know if you've been hearing the news lately. Um, you know, we have all these uh, anti-LGBT and a lot of anti-trans bills all across the country right now. It's kind of the new wedge issue, Um, you know, unfortunately using transgender youth, um, you know, not allowing them to participate in sports and Mm -hmm. not, you know, allowing them to get the healthcare they need and um, just, just really, um, uh, (laughs) really disquieting. Um, So, so that is, you know, we're, we are not, we are far from, uh, from uh, being discrimination free, even, you know, in our laws. Um, let alone kind of our attitudes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, there was a, a poll done last year by GLAD, um, the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation. I think that's what they used to be called their, their LGBT um, organization. Um, and actually the acceptance for LGBT folks declined in 2019 for the first time mm-hmm. in many years. Um, so there, there are, you know, there are internal biases and discrimination that, that, that continues. There's additional, you know, hate crimes against LGBT folks were increasing as well. Um, so, you know, we have, we have a lot of strides, you know, the, the societal discrimination, you know, you think about homelessness rates and job discrimination, suicide rates are much higher, much, much higher in the trans community. Um, there is a, um, a survey done, it was in 2010, but, uh, of the transgender community and 41% of transgender folks had attempted suicide and oh my goodness responded to the survey oh my um, gosh. you know thinking of, of that in terms of the general population it's just it's it's enormous so um, it is staggering um, so these disparities you know they multiply when you add you know if you're a, a LGBT folk and you also are a person of color you know all these disparities just kind of um, can can uh, be even more difficult. Yeah. So it's an ongoing fight. I think I was sharing with you earlier in our pharmacy school. I know several years ago we we have activities called a fishbowl where students work on a some clinical situation as a group and so forth. And we had one specifically on transgender patients, mm-hmm. and the students were a little uncomfortable because no one wants to be offensive on purpose. Mm-hmm. At least I hope not. Um, mm-hmm. But they, they really struggled with what do you do with someone who doesn't want to identify as either man or woman? So mm-hmm. you can't mm-hmm. say, can I help you, ma'am, if mm-hmm. you don't want that label. So mm-hmm. is it rude to say, how do you self-identify? How would you like me to refer to you? What's the, what's the best protocol to do to not be offensive, but to be sensitive? Sure. Um, I think that, uh, you know, ideally uh, you can first 
uh, kind of align yourself with them by saying, you know, hi, my name is Nancy. I use she, her pronouns. Um, how can I, how can I uh, refer to you? Um, you know, what would you like to be called? Um, so it's, it's quick. It, you know, if, if you haven't practiced that, it might not slip off your tongue very easily. Um, but you're right. There are a lot of folks who don't feel they have a home in the gender binary. And I think that, um, that is, that's something that has really increased in the last few years. Um, I would say, especially among youth, cause I think that they're feeling the ability to really kind of create, um, and, and be who they really feel they are internally and, and express that ex externally. Mm -hmm. um, uh, in a very uh, <laughs> non-scientific study, I asked my neighbors who are college professors, mm -hmm. um, who you know, have about a hundred students in their classes, how many are transgender, how many are non-binary. Um, non and there was, I think one transgender student and there were like 15 non-binary. I mean, oh gosh, this really? is, this is, yeah. So, so it, I think it is something that we, can't just kind of push off to the side. It really is, um, really is present. It's going to be even more present, I think, in the coming years. I think it's really cool. I think it. I think it does take some, um, some time and 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 thought to to use they them pronouns or you know that's a it, it doesn't come off our tongues easily. So I think it takes practice, and I think you have to think it in your head first and and you know and use it. So I recall that the standardized patient we had who actually was a non-binary self-identified individual mm -hmm. said, if you're really stuck, call me friend. Hi friend, can I yeah. help, what can I help you with today? Yeah. Uh, I thought that was a good tip. And the yeah. other story I have is probably about 10 or 12 years ago, we had a patient on hospice who um, was transgender, but had not made like a physical transformation. And I don't for the life of me remember which way they were going, but they wanted to be, they, they self-identified as the non-birth gender. Mm -hmm. And the hospice nurse refused to do that. Hmm. So the patient had changed their name, but the nurse refused to, not legally. Um, and I remember the rest of the team wanted to kind of kill the nurse for being so hmm. insensitive. Hmm. Have things gotten any better? I mean, I know there uh, was an article published last May about the experiences of LGBT patients and their families in hospice and care. What's the upshot of that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that your story, I think, illustrates it quite well. Um, you know, we're not immune um, in hospice and palliative care. Um, our patients are LGBT and they are, they, they are not always being treated respectfully. Um, you know, who knows how much hurt that caused that person at the end of their life in hospice. It was horrible. It was you, know? Horrible. Um, you know, when you're vulnerable and someone's coming in to take care of you, um, you know, and you have put yourself out there to be out to that person and then them not respect that. Um, that just makes me really sad. Yeah. The, the survey that they, they did in, in this article, um, they surveyed over 800 or 865 hospice and palliative professionals. So, you know, social workers, nurses, physicians, pharmacists, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and uh, asked them, had they seen um, discriminatory, discriminatory care? Um, and, you know, or would they expect that, uh, LGBT person would be treated, um, similarly to, um, a straight person. Um, and it was really, uh, really, you know, eye-opening. I think, um, one of the most, uh, uh, stark statistics was that, uh, they, it was almost 43% of the folks who responded said they had seen, um, directly observed, not just hearsay, but directly observed discriminatory, um, behavior towards uh, a patient's 
caregiver or loved one or, you know, spouse, um, not taking them seriously, eye rolling, maybe not, um, actually uh, following through with their, uh, their care decisions. Um, you know, so that, <laughs> that's, you know, that's our bread and butter, you know, your, 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 uh, your decision-making. And if you're not respecting someone who's been appointed as a healthcare agent or, or you're not respecting the spouse as that person, cause they're, um, you know, they're gay or lesbian, um, yeah, that we have work to do. Yeah, right. you would think um, hospice and palliative care, we would be doing a better job. You would think yeah. we'd be leading the flock here. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I think that, I think we have an opportunity to do that. I think we have an opportunity to lead the flock. And I think, um, you know, it. we can't just say, oh, we mean well and and go, go that way. You know, I think we really have to do the work and train staff um, and, you know, kind of be aware of our blind sides. Um, you know, if, if folks are fearing discriminatory treatment, mm -hmm. then they're going to delay their treatment, right? And they're not going to be doing any advanced care planning. So, you know, all, all these things that we really care about, um, you know, are affected by discriminatory treatment or the fear of it. Yeah. Well, you know, when I think of the LGBT community, I tend to think of, you know, adolescents and younger adults. But what about... Uh, this population as older adults, what do we have to be mindful of? And what are some tips in dealing in hospice and palliative care with the older community? Yeah, um, they're, they're, that's, you know, a special place in my heart for, for LGBT older adults. Um, it's kind of why I got into this in, in the first place. I um, was always interested in older adults. And then when I came out as a lesbian, I realized that there were these elders who had gone through so much. And then at the end of their life, they're going through transitions and maybe having to go back in the closet because they're scared to go to a nursing facility or they're, um, you know, they're scared to have someone come in and take care of them and be open about who they are. What if they pray over them? What if they abuse them? What if they neglect them? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think that if you think about a person's life, somebody who's 70 plus, you know, they were alive during bar raids where police would come in and not just break up the party, but arrest people and put their names and their, you know, their addresses in the paper the next day. Not, you know, like these are, the, you know, real, real newspapers that that did this. And then what would happen is they lose their job, you know. Mm -hmm. So there was a reason that people were scared. And and thinking about, you know, carrying that with you. What if you have dementia, you know, and you're kind of going back into prior times in your life. You know, you you may be more scared about being out. Um, you know, also you may have lived through the AIDS epidemic and seen loved ones and have some medical trauma around that, right? Maybe you were a partner to someone who died and you weren't able to be at the bedside. Maybe their family swooped in and made all the decisions and you were cut out, you know? I mean, that happened very, very commonly. Um, so, and they could be victims of discrimination or violence in the past. So I think, you know, not everyone is gonna come with this baggage, uh, you know, or, or come with this, this in their history, but I think it's, Good to be aware of the possibilities and and you know kind of uh, uh, be open to learning about uh, about someone and their their history like that. So and and you know also uh, gay elders or LGBT elders are much more likely to be single, much more likely to live alone, um, 
and it's like four times as likely to have um, to not have children. So when you're thinking about caregivers and community and support when you grow older, um, they really may need those those you know long-term care facilities and need us to help kind of create a, a good a good plan for them. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I know as a social worker. I have many dear friends who are social workers who have taught me so much about best practices in hospice and palliative care. Things like when you meet a patient listening with an open heart and the, the spirit of curiosity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what are some best practices that we can apply to addressing this entire population? Yeah, so you know, we talked a lot about terms at the beginning and I want, and I know that there's a lot of anxiety over messing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, I would caution folks to think of these terms as labels to be placed on someone, you know? Um, I, I, you know, you wanna get a fluency with terms just so you feel more comfortable, but we're always here to come to that individual, you know, come to that individual in the bed or in the home and meet them where they are. You know, these are, these are real palliative care best practices, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think um, we can do this. We know, we know what, we're, what, what, what we're doing to, to you know, do, do um, real personalized care. Um, but part of that, right, is adopting someone's language, mirroring their language. Um, don't assume based on appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you're writing a note, when you're uh, documenting, write what, what the person wants to be called in your note. You know, you can say, oh, I, I met with this, you know, met with Sally, a transgender woman, and then use she for the rest of your documentation, you know? Also, when you're talking with your colleagues about the patient, you know, talk respectfully, even if they can't hear you, use the, use the correct pronouns. You can be an example for others that, that this is not a joke and that this is something to be taken seriously and that they can do it too. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, intake forms, you know, do you have sexual orientation or gender identity um, questions on your intake forms? Um, you know, uh, you know, if, if you, you know, these pronouns are, are, people get really hung up on the pronouns and worried about them. If you make a mistake, that's fine. Correct yourself and just move on. You know, you don't have to belabor the point. Um, and if you hear a colleague making a mistake in front of the patient or not in front of the patient, correct them because if you don't correct them you're leaving that onus on the marginalized person to mm-hmm. you know to correct them mm-hmm. um, and if you don't correct them you're saying that's not important so you know you can just say oh you know dr smith alex goes by she pronouns there use a she pronouns and move on you know Absolutely. i could see not adopting that as a best practice ranges anywhere from annoying to downright hurtful. And my only example is, my name is Mary Lynn McPherson and I go by Lynn, but there are people who persist on calling me Mary, which is annoying. (laughs) Imagine if it's much more personal, like your gender identity. Oh my gosh, that could be so hurtful. Like that one patient we had in the hospice. So excellent points. What can we do specifically? Any ideas for creating a welcoming or safe space in our palliative care teams and for our patients. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're asking them to open up to us, right? Um, so I think that we, you know, they deserve um, for us to meet them and create a safe space. I think that um, being aware of who else is in the room, right? Someone may not want to open up to you if, you know, their mother is in the room or, you know, someone else just kind of, you know, the, use your spidey sense, right? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. 
and leave crumbs to show that you're LGBT friendly. Mm-hmm. I, 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 if there's one thing that folks take away from this podcast, um, I, I think that understanding the process of coming out is huge. So you don't come out once in your life and then you're out and you don't have to worry about it anymore. You know, I, as a 42 year old lesbian come out probably three or four times a week and I have to make a decision every single time. Is this safe? Is this some, is this where I want to go? Am I going to hit backlash if I say this? And I mean, simple things like going to the car mechanic, you know, the car is in my wife's name. When I come in, do I say, oh, I'm my wife's name? Or do I say, oh, you know, my, it's under my wife's name. It's this, do I out myself, you know? And I think about those things every day through every interaction, you know, so you can imagine something very small like that, um, uh, you think about, and then going into the hospital, the person who's coming in to change you, you know, who's coming in to, to help make a decision about, about your care. Um, I want to know if they're going to accept me. And it's really nice if I know before I say something, right? So if they have a pin that says, you know, has a, has a rainbow flag on it, you know, that makes me go, oh, okay that's okay. I'm, I'm okay with this person or a gender pronoun pin, you know, or if they come in and say, hi, my name is Alex. I used, uh, you know, uh, uh, she, you know, her, she, are my pronouns. Like if someone says that to me, even if it's, I think it's obvious. Oh, you do look like you use she, her pronouns. Of, of course you do. You know, saying that to me allows me to then be open and makes me feel more comfortable. So, um, I think, you know, if, if there are ways that you can show that you're LGBT friendly, a lot of people now like on their zoom or on their emails, they will put their, their pronouns. And I had a colleague say, well, I didn't put my pronouns because I thought it was obvious, you know? Um, but the reason you're putting the pronouns is so that you are showing others that it's okay for them to say their pronouns too. You know, it's okay. You're accepting. So, um, that, you know, leaving those crumbs can help create a, a more friendly space. Um, and I think you, you mentioned, you know, saying friend, um, using more gender neutral language is always good. Um, you know, who's important to you? Do you have a friend or a partner or a spouse? If someone come and said that, came and said that to me and said the word partner or a friend or spouse, you know, um, that would make me feel like I could share more information with them than if they said, are you married or who's your husband? You know, do you have a husband or something like that? Um, You know, one of the things that I'm trying out right now is not walking into a room and saying Mrs. X or, you know, Ms. X or Mr. Y just coming in and saying, hi, you know, this is, you know, I'm I'm the social worker. Are you, you know, full name? How would you prefer me to call you? You know, instead of defaulting to Ms. or Mr. Mm -hmm. Um, And then some of the things that we do um, without thinking about it, like family meeting can even be off-putting to someone. They may think of, you know, if you're an older LGBT adult, you may think of your family as something really specific, um, that doesn't, that, that doesn't relate to you, you know, but if you said we're having a care planning meeting or who's really important to you in your life, um, you know, who, who could be at this meeting to help plan for your care, um, you know, things like that. So, Wow, those were excellent tips. And that's really an eye-opener. I guess I never really thought about me sharing my pronoun preferences as much for other people as it is, or even more so than for myself, sort of like getting vaccinated for COVID. Yes. Uh, so it, it largely is for the greater good. That, that, yeah. That's an eye-opener. And I, I appreciate you making these points and 
I think this has really helped to heighten awareness. So as we wrap up here, Nancy, is there anything else you want to share? Any final to-go points here you want folks to hear? Yeah, I could talk for, you know, I could talk for days, I think. <laughs> um, and there's so there's so much to learn and say, but I, I think that, um, you know, uh, self-reflection is really important. Um, I think we all have our own internal biases. And I think, um, you know, really thinking about that, where are you uncomfortable and doing some work around it, you know, mm-hmm. reading a book, watching a movie, doing something that's going to give you some more, um, more comfort, um, maybe in this topic. And, and I think that, you know, as I said, we're palliative practitioners. This is, but you know, this is what we do. We talk about hard things, you know, we talk about death, Mm-hmm. You know, we can talk about death. We can talk about this. We can, we can do this. So um, I just want to encourage everyone and, um, you know, the opportunity for our palliative cares to really make a difference, I think, here to be educators and leaders. Um, and I uh, want to encourage everyone to do that. Yeah, I think palliative care has done a good job teaching the rest of the world so many other skills. We should be a leader mm-hmm. here as well. Yeah. So important. Absolutely. Well, again, we've been speaking with Nancy Eddy, a social worker with a union, well, started a union, but MedStar altogether, the patch program, telehealth, talking about the LGBT community and best practices. And we're very appreciative for your time and your insight, Nancy. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lynn. It's a pleasure. So this is Dr. Lynn McPherson, and this presentation is copyright 2021. University of Maryland. For more information on our completely online Master of Science and Graduate Certificate Program in Palliative Care, or for permission requests regarding this podcast, please visit graduate.umaryland.edu palliative. Thank you.